welcome to the sixth episode of On The Record. I'm Jason Tebb, Chief Executive of On The Market, and over the course of this first season of podcasts, I'll be talking to the innovators and leading figures in our sector to discuss their journey in the industry, their views on prop tech, and their opinions on how adopting new technology can benefit every agent. I'm delighted to welcome Glynis Frew to the show, former chief executive of Hunters, which is one of the most successful estate agency franchise businesses in the UK. And in a career spanning over 20 years, having overseen the business growth and subsequent integration into the property franchise group, she's more recently taken on a group role as training and development director, as well as being a key member of the home buying and selling group, which we'll discuss later. It's a government working group essentially designed to increase transparency and reduce transaction times for home movers. So great pleasure to welcome you to the show, Glynis, and thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you. No problem at all. How are things with you? Are you well? Very well, thank you. Yeah, very well. And what an entertaining market we are in. Challenging for some, opportunity for others, I'd imagine. Well, that's right. No doubt the property market always ebbs and flows to a certain degree. I think, though, that probably, as with the rest of us in the UK, we've been pretty surprised by recent events since the summer. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And I think we could probably spend another two hours talking about that alone, but we won't for time reasons. Let's move on to the questions. So let's just start. Tell us a bit about your background and a very quick summary of how you came to be in a state agency, which is always something I find fascinating about how people fall into the industry for various reasons. And then maybe give listeners an indication of your career and what you're doing currently as well. Well, uh, I'm getting on a bit now. So I've worked for probably about 40 odd years, actually. I started in 1979 and I started working for United Biscuits. And from United Biscuits, I then went to PepsiCo. So I spent almost 20 years in FMCG. And then I decided to leave and I set up my own training business. I used to go all over the world with this training business and worked for different companies Johnson & Johnson, obviously Pepsi and different people that I'd made contact with on the way. And then we decided that we were going to have children mm-hmm. and you couldn't really travel all over the world with children. So I did start to think I would probably be a stay-at-home mum, but that didn't last very long, actually. <laughs> and so I went into a state agency part-time. And that's how it all began. And I went into a state agency first on the, you know, to do a bit of HR and training. And it just built from there. And I have to say, I love it. I love property. I love agency. And I've worked for over 20 years in agency. And to me, it seems just like yesterday that I started. Yeah. I love it. And that's what I love about it too. And even though I'm not directly involved in agency anymore, I was an agent for 20 years, as you know, and it taught me so much. Every day is, as you rightly say, is a learning day. And, you know, I found very quickly when I joined the the industry for the first time that actually doing a viewing, booking a viewing is only 1% of the role. And then there's the whole conveyancing process, the deal chasing, the management side, which is something that doesn't naturally get trained quite often in the state agency how to manage a team how to manage a budget and a PL. I just found the industry fascinating but like you I came to it relatively later in life from another industry another career and I suppose I often think about things that I did before agency and what they taught me about how I applied myself to my new role what do you think your background in those other businesses you mentioned taught you about 
as you transition to becoming an estate agent for the first time and then moving up through the ranks? Well, I think my other work taught me the value of money and what money means to somebody else. And I think that's really important in a state agency to mm. understand the value of money. I was also very lucky in Pepsi because they were very much, they didn't necessarily have as many training courses as United Biscuits, but you learnt by doing. Mm. And so I understood how to run a business. I understood about dealing with different people, all of which were transferable skills. And of course, management skills as well were all transferable skills. But I think the issue of learning about the value of money and what that means to somebody else is very important when you're talking to estate agency customers, be they vendor, buyer, landlord, you know, or tenant. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I agree with you because, you know, sometimes, and I'm not saying that this happens a lot, but sometimes there is the temptation to think of property transaction just as a commodity transaction, just as a product that is shifted. But this is a million miles away from selling a pair of shoes or selling a pack of biscuits. This is an emotional decision, which is usually life changing or life making. It involves big calls. You know, it, it is for most people and still is the largest value asset they'll ever have. And I think that element of the personal in it is something that people should always keep at the front of their mind. Yeah. Because it's very easy to pick up the phone and say, I've got an offer and it is X or your property isn't selling and therefore I recommend a reduction. But these are people's maybe sometimes sole major investment. Yes, I absolutely agree. And whenever we've taken any training courses, you know, especially if it's on market appraisals and things like that, I've always tried to emphasize to everybody, don't forget, you know, this is a pile of money. There was a pile of money on the table that somebody was giving you. You need to treat it like that kind of thing. It is really important. I agree with you. Yeah, great advice. Tell us a bit more about Hunters. How do you think a franchise business, which it is very successful, and obviously, as I mentioned in the warm up, how does a franchise business different from conventional estate agency and what extra support do you provide for franchisees, both the new ones, brand new to the industry sometimes, I'm assuming, maybe I'm wrong, and then those really experienced ones too? Well, I think the advantage to a franchisee joining a franchise group is that you get the benefit of a lot of the corporate support without necessarily the sort of dictatorial rules that have to come out from a corporate. And I'm not decrying corporates. I mean, I've worked for corporate too. So what a franchisor can give is financially, they can get better deals with the suppliers, of course, but also they take on a lot of the responsibility in terms of giving the advice for compliance but also a lot of the training, which actually, if you're an independent agent, it can be quite expensive. And so we set up the first Hunters Training Academy about 2006, and it's grown from there. And I know that the franchisees really appreciate it, because like you say, some are joining the industry with no experience whatsoever, and some do have experience. So... When we're taking the training courses, we try to make sure that we keep both of those things in mind because really good training courses are about interaction between the delegates. It is yep. not about somebody standing at the front of the room telling. It is about interaction, facilitating, and then people get a lot out of the training. Yeah, I agree. 
my experience of training when I first joined agency was here's a desk, yes. here's your phone, yes. here's your applicant box. Remember those? They had applicant boxes those days. Boxes those <laughs> yeah, days. that's right. And you call everyone in your applicant box and try and book some viewing. Yeah. And, and that was it. And I think there has been almost a sector within a sector, that whole training and development piece has become a business for some as well. I think that's so important in helping to skill up the existing members of staff and new members of staff as well as they develop. And also those core skills I mentioned earlier, how to manage, how to lead people, how to offer and be able to run a business because many agents, I think, and maybe you disagree, Ralph, it'd be interesting to hear your views. I think many agents become very good agents quite quickly, but actually becoming business leaders and managing that budget, particularly when they run their own businesses as essentially a franchise is, that can be really challenging for some, right? Oh, without question. And it doesn't matter what walk of life you're in, you can be a very good operator when you begin, but when you go on to the management level, it's a different skill set altogether. And I think the biggest mistake lots of people make when they first go into management, and understandably, is they find it hard to not dictate. They find it hard to let go, to let other people do a job. And I think it really is a skill and knowledge base that people have to be taught. I think it's unfair to put people into a management position and then say, we'll just get on with it because Mm. you're learning an entirely new approach to things. There's lots of things that you've already learned that you can use and there'll be lots of things within your personality that are strengths that you can use as well. But nonetheless, there are certain things that you need to have that input from somebody else to be able to coach you and give you the skills that you need. Yeah, totally agree. We mentioned earlier about applicant cards. That was sort of pre the technological revolution. But how do you think technology, prop tech as it's called, has changed this sector? My view is it's changed it beyond all recognition because the way that I operated as an agent in the very early 2000s was completely different from the way I operated in the late 2017, 18, 19 before I left the industry. What do you think those main benefits have been of this big digital revolution? Well, I think it's speeded up the process a bit for negotiators, first of all. I mean, I remember the first CRMs that were introduced and to say they were clunky and used to drive everybody nuts would be an understatement. And so I think they're a lot better now. And that has freed up a lot of valuable time because in agency, you can't lose sight of the fact that you do need to talk to people. All business is about people, but that's especially true of estate agencies. So you've got to free up the time to be able to talk to them. So I think it has changed in all recognition. I think the other thing that's made it change is the increasing legislation and compliance. I mean, without some legislation in some of that compliance sector, I mean, you'd be there all day, wouldn't you? Collecting pieces of paper, taking photographs, writing this, writing that. So... I think there's a world of difference between where we were 20 years ago. Still a lot of opportunity, mind. There is, there is. And I say this often on this show that I see hundreds of potential prop techs a month. Some of them try and solve problems that maybe don't exist. And the ones that do really you know, solve this real need for either agents or people related into that sector tend to be so vital and might even change the way people operate for good, which I think is the opportunity there. I think you're right. And 
I suppose on that subject, we'll come on to this later, I'm sure. Why do you think it's been that the UK has been slow to adopt that tech in terms of making the whole conveyancing process simpler? Well, that's an interesting question, really. I don't subscribe to this theory where people say, oh, you know, it's all broken. I hate it when people say that because it's clearly not broken because people are moving home. I do think that one of the things that we do need to be careful of as an industry is we're all busy doing it, doing it, doing it. And sometimes you just need to take a step back and think, well, we might always have done it this way, but actually there could be and probably is a better way to do it. Because there's no doubt about it, the whole transaction process has changed. I mean, even six or seven years ago, you could probably say, that at the outside, a transaction would go through between 12 and 14 weeks. You're lucky these days, if that's the case, and when it was going through between 12 weeks, we were wanting to get it down to eight. I do think there's loads of room for improvement. I think it's on the horizon, actually. I think so. And we'll definitely come on to that in a bit and talk through the various ideas and initiatives that both government have and your input into that as well. I want to move on to A point that came up a couple of podcasts ago with a lady I interviewed, Amy Smith, who's an old friend of mine, old colleague of mine. She's an area director at Chesterton. She actually hired me in 2007. I'm not sure if she regrets that. Good choice. Oh, very well said, Glynis. Thank you. Um, But she was telling us about her experience as a woman in the sector and how a state agency was, in her opinion, slower than some industries to ensure equality in the workplace. You've been in this particular industry a long time, in a time where approach to that equality and diversity in the workplace was very much more prevalent than it was historically. Mm. Do you think things have changed a lot since you first started in the industry? And what was your experience when you first started out? Well, not many people asked me that when I first started out. But I have to say, when I first started in 1999, I was flabbergasted at how male-orientated it was, the whole industry whether you were talking about developers, estate agents, you know, conveyances, whatever you were talking about. I was flabbergasted because although I'd started in 79 and there was without question a glass ceiling, I could see by the time I left 18 years later how much that had moved on. So when I came into agency, I thought, this is like stepping back in time. I do think it's moved on. And there are lots of women now that are coming through or and got great jobs and lots that will come through. Because the one thing that I think about agency, and it doesn't really matter whether it's sales or lettings, women do tend to have quite an empathy with the customer in this kind of an environment that we're working in. And so they tend to be quite good at it. Mm. So I do think it is an area where they could and should excel. Thank you. You're listening to On The Record, the On The Market podcast with me, your host, Jason Teb, and my guest this week, Glynis Frew. We've been hearing about Glynis's career to date, the franchising sector, and how technology has changed how agents operate their businesses. Moving on from this, we discuss her important work with the home buying and selling group and chat about her interests outside of the property industry too. So, Glynis, we both sit on various subsections of the home buying and selling group and spend a bit of time on virtual calls discussing various matters around the sector. But for those who aren't familiar, tell us about the home buying and selling group. What is it and what does it do? 
Well, the Home Buying and Selling Group is a mixture of about 170 different participants from all over the property industry, agency, legals, removals, the whole sector. So it's, it's a very, very big group. And the overall aim is to make the property transactions simpler, more transparent, and a better experience overall for the consumer. And that doesn't matter whether they're dealing with leasehold, sale, or even booking the day of their removal. It covers all of those areas. Mm. All the work that's done on it is all voluntary by all these participants from all the different companies. It meets quarterly, and there are various sub-working groups. So there's a group on leasehold, there's a tech group, and there's the upfront information group as well as others. And we all come together quarterly and discuss our issues and what we've achieved and what we want to do going forward. Interesting. You mentioned upfront information. Maybe explain for those listening who aren't familiar with the term upfront information. What does that mean and why is it important in this whole process? Well, I think that most people will be familiar with what trading standards are doing at the moment, which is about material information. And it is the same thing. It's about the consumer getting information up front before they even make an offer, basically. So the rules have always been there. The legislation has always been there that estate agents should provide that information. But it has been a bit grey as to, well, what does that mean and how much exactly? Sure. So the upfront group, which is part of the home buying and selling group, has created what's called a BASPE, which is a property information And that means everybody knows when you're first instructing a vendor, it's all exciting, all that kind of thing, property's going on the market. But then they're sort of confronted with a series of documents that seem overwhelming that they have to complete. Hmm. And this is where the upfront information of the Home Buying and Selling Group and the Data Trust Framework, which is a technical group, have come together. Because they've taken those questions and that information that's required And they are linking in with various other sources, such as land registry, such as CPC, so that a lot of the information can actually be automatically downloaded and it will be digital information. Great. And then that digital information can be summarised so that when a buyer goes onto a portal, such as on the market or whatever, to go and look at a new property they can see a summary of all that information. They know where that data has come from. And the solicitor or the conveyancers from both sides have access to that information very early in the process. So the seller completes it on instruction. The seller's conveyancer can then start to look through that information and see what potentially may become a problem and can start sorting those out, answering those questions before ever a buyer comes along. That will ultimately then, without question, speed up the process. And we have tested that in various areas. And where we do test that in various areas, it has worked. So where nationally it seems that the transaction process now is taking anything between 19 and 22 weeks. Through using this process, the average comes down to 12, 12 and a half, with a long way to go. And once we start to use this, we can share this also with the lenders so that the lenders themselves can start to say, yes, we will lend on this type of property, no, we won't, and so on. So the future is really exciting. 
I mean, that would be a huge shift, wouldn't it? It would be a huge shift from where we are now to where we hopefully, by the sound of it, will be in the future. Yes. I think one of the biggest challenges, and I remember this from my valuation days, is you're sitting on someone's sofa, you're telling them how great you are and will you list with us? And I know probably at that point, that's probably the best opportunity to say, now you're thinking of selling, here's some forms. And you should start to compile some information early because in three or four weeks time when we found a buyer for you, which we will, you'll have to go and dig out fencer certificate from the loft and all that stuff and do it now. But I definitely didn't do it as often as I should have done. And I don't think many, if they're honest, probably would say the same. How do we get to the consumer early enough so that actually these forms are being filled out early enough? Yeah, well, that's right. I think most listers would say exactly the same as you because it's at the point of excitement and, you know, they want to create and maintain that excitement. So the way to do it early on is actually to make sure it is digital. It is not a form. Mm -hmm. It is digitally completed and it still remains what percentage of that information we can get electronically and digitally But it does look at this stage that there is a fair proportion. But even when the vendor starts to complete it and can see how much is being automatically populated, by the nature of it, it does make it seem so much less daunting. And like I say, the fact that this is shared digitally on day one, we would also say that on day one, on the point of marketing, the vendor would appoint a conveyancer. And I think that's really important then the two parties can start to work together right from the beginning. And then you can keep that momentum up. So it really is an exciting development. It would be huge for the industry. It would be huge for consumers as well, because one of the challenges, you mentioned this at the start, is consumer awareness of the conveyancing process. But assuming all that goes well, do you think we'll ever get to a stage in the UK where a buyer can click to buy a property as they do on many other platforms? Do you ever think we'll get to that stage or do you think that there'll always be an element of that physical process with you know, interactions between parties? Well, I would say that I think there will always be an element of the interaction between parties. That could be because I too now I'm saying, well, we've always done it this way. I can't imagine that it would get to that stage. But I do think that there are various searches and so on that are an absolute must for a vendor. Some of the complaints that we've had have been because a vendor probably missed out some of those essential searches at the beginning. Because let's not forget, 30% of purchasers are cash purchasers. So, you know, sometimes they want to circumvent the process because it's cash and just let's get on with it. And I think what we're trying to do now is to make sure that we do it safely. They have all the safety checks in place, but yet we can still speed up this process and make it a much more transparent and smoother process for all the stakeholders. And I'm really, really very excited about it all. Yeah, me too. And we, as I said earlier, you and I sit on one of those subgroups and I think it would completely transform the industry and transform it permanently, which would be amazing. But uh, let's see how progress is made. And just on that subject, it's sort of slightly related. There's lots of chatter about agent regulation at the moment. So, I, you know, seeing as I've got you on, I take the opportunity to ask the question. And I think from memory, when I've read things that you've written, you're a fan in principle of a regulated industry, you know, Roper, which was a concept that was discussed a few years ago, hasn't quite made it to fruition yet. 
do you agree that the industry needs to be regulated and how do you see that working? I do believe it should be regulated. I know that there are some people that don't, which are in two camps. One, because whenever you do bring in regulation, then there is a cost associated with that, which there is, and usually the consumer pays. But having said that, I think that it is such an important transaction, and that doesn't matter whether it's in lettings or sales, that I think it is absolutely in the consumer's interest to have regulation. Most of the agents that I come across of course are very good agents Mm. but there are so many that just aren't and I don't think it's fair I don't think it's reasonable for a consumer to be subject to that and so yes I am all in favour of the regulation of property agents. Thank you. Just to close in the last few minutes when you're not working in your capacity at Hunters when you're not um, on the home buying and selling group you don't probably have much time but when you're not working what are you passionate about what are your hobbies what are your interests? Well I love holidays I love going away and uh, I must admit I spend hours looking at different places to visit so I love that I also like reading I've always got a book on the go and I don't have a particular type of book I can read any book I love books and I'm also learning to play the piano wow okay is that something you've been doing for a while or it's the piano is just suddenly as you have maybe a little bit more time to focus on something else I really enjoy it I don't even know why I started it really I was forced to do it as a child and thought well I'm not doing this and then I thought well now I can choose for myself so I've started to do that and strangely enough I love Mozart. I think that's the biggest revelation of the podcast, if I'm honest. I know. You wouldn't believe it, would you? Wow. Okay. (laughs) Um, I do play the piano and I love it. And I've been doing it for years and years since I was a kid. I didn't have many lessons, but I still love doing it. My skill is probably very amateur, but I just find it very relaxing. And there's few things that I do that can help me switch off in a way that playing an instrument, particularly playing the piano, can do. So I totally empathize with that there. Uh, well good luck and yeah let's see i'd be delighted to have a separate podcast to see your progress you could share some of your work just to close you know you've had a long and i think i'm allowed to say illustrious i think that you know you've you've come to a very very senior position within one of the most well-respected franchise businesses in the uk you had a very large role to play in both how that grew and developed but also how that then integrated with the property franchise group and you know in all those years and lots of things that you've done in that time and besides what do you think the biggest challenge you faced in that period what was the biggest challenge of your career well there's lots of course that every business person running a business has and you know floating and you know all those different things and then you know you've got staffing issues all those different things but I think the thing that I will always look back on and think that was the most difficult of all was the day that the prime minister said that they were going to close the industry and I walked from my office in York down into the car park and I thought I have no idea how we are going to cope with this. As it happened, it all worked out. But that would be, I would say, the worst moment of my career. Yeah, it's a very scary time. And I can't remember, certainly in my career, there being a period where you physically <laughs> couldn't do anything. There's obviously been tough markets. Obviously, we've been through, I've been through a couple of those cycles. You've seen the probably the one prior to that as well. But I think from my view, 
like there's no point opening office because no one can go in and therefore no transactions can take place. No new instructions can be. It was, yeah, it was a very frightening time for many people. And back then, you know, it seems like distant history now, but back then people didn't know how long it would last. And, and that I can imagine was a hugely worrying time. So yeah, I share that, absolutely share that view. And final question for me, which I always like to ask when I do get time, what advice would you give to someone who's either listening to this or has been talking to mates saying, well, I'm thinking of becoming an agent or thinking of moving to a state agency, or even in our case, both of our cases, moving from another career path into a state agency for the first time, maybe a little bit later. What advice would you give to someone thinking of becoming an estate agent? I would say I think that's a great choice. I think you should do it because it's full of learning. It's full of excitement. And if you're prepared to work hard, have a sense of humour and connect with people, you will be really successful. Perfect. Couldn't put it better myself. Sadly, we're out of time, but I want to thank you, Glynis, for coming on the show. And in a particular thanks from all of us within the property industry for your hard work and dedication over the past 20 years. We're going to add the links to both Hunters and the Home Buying and Selling Group in our show notes and on our social channels, too, if any of our listeners would like to find out some more. Don't forget, you can keep up to date with our next episodes by following us at OnTheMarket.com on Twitter. You can follow us on all the other social channels too, LinkedIn and Instagram, or search for On The Record in your podcast app and hit that follow button. But just remains for me to say a big thank you once again to Glynis and great to chat. Thanks, Glynis. Thank you very much, Jason. Thank you. Pleasure. Pleasure.